You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, your friend and mine from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, aside from this being a holiday episode of the CME, which I'm sure will be uh, extra reverent as yeah. we sit here. Do we get paid time and a half? We are getting time holiday? and a half for this. Yes, a little bit of overtime. Nice. Because we're sitting here on Memorial Day. But not only that, but this past week, uh, the podcast turned one year old. Yay! It was the Happy first birthday. anniversary of the CME, and a lot of people reached out to us on Twitter with nice things to say, and we thanked them all, especially longtime podcast listener Claire Hammond, who sent us a gift certificate for internet beer. Oh, I love internet beer. has been ordered and is currently in transit. Uh, so I guess this week will be extra reverent, and from here on out, the next few weeks will be extra drunk. You know, and I can I just say, I really appreciate that our listeners, they, they get us. Yes. They get us. They know what we would enjoy, some internet beer. So a million, yes. a million thank yous out to Claire Hammond. And frankly, I feel like she sort of put the rest of the CME universe on notice with her kindness. Yeah. What have they done for us lately? Yeah, you know what they are? They're a bunch of takers. Claire Hammond's a giver. Ben, the music for this week's podcast comes to us from listener Tobias Walden or Waldeen or Waldane. I just go by Tobias. Well, he said he was excited to see how I would pronounce his name, so I decided to throw all three of the pronunciations that I could think of yeah. out there. Hey, at you like once. it? You have a gimmick now. Your gimmick is that you're terrible at pronouncing these names. <laughs> hey, man, I, we have to take what we can get, right? He's got a uh, one-man metal band going Whoa. on, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. We'll be using his music between all three rounds today, uh, and if you like what you hear, you can find him online at SoundCloud.com/backslash/SuperstarPecanBar. So he plays all the instruments? That's my understanding, yes. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sounds, impressive. I can't wait to hear it. We'll put the link on the uh, on the site, comainevent.com, when the podcast is live. We started doing that last week. I think we're going to do that from now on. Uh, my question is, if you have a one-man metal band, I mean, for one thing, it sounds exhausting. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, like, you know, do you also have to be the guy who, like, you know, you play the the bass drum, and then you also pour blood on things, and then you also the set fire to your machine. bass. Like, yeah, I mean, it just sounds like a lot of work. I mean, it's like fine one to have a one man like three piece punk band. Fine, whatever. You know, smash some PBR cans together, and uh, you know thrash around on a guitar, and it's fine. But a metal band that sounds like a lot of work for one person. Yeah, overdose maybe yeah. on Wednesday. Yeah. Before Thursday, you lay down your scratch tracks. Yeah. And then you got to gain a bunch of weight and then lose a bunch of weight. All that kind of stuff. This Do your own piercings. <laughs> this week's co-main event podcast, as usual, comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, it felt like the right heavyweights won their fights last weekend at UFC 160. But is the world really ready for Velasquez versus Dos Santos part three? And in round number two, Bigfoot Silva and Mark Hunt saw their magical win streaks come to a close on Saturday, while Josh Barnett re-entered the scene, and Roy Nelson stepped up, quote-unquote, to take what is a really, really weird fight for him. So we will take a broad look at the heavyweight division. And in round number three, I'm just going to say this out loud to see how it sounds. Yeah, try it UFC on. lightweight champion of the world, TJ Grant. Okay, I mean, it feels, it's like a new shirt, it feels a little itchy. But uh, I think maybe we get used to it. We're going to do all that, plus Sir Nigel Longstock and Master Tweet Theater. We'll do just saying stuff, and we'll do, are you fucking kidding me? But, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first bit of listener mail comes to us this week from Dan Yoon, who writes, What did you guys think of Fallon Fox's performance? Personally, I wasn't impressed with her performance. She didn't suck by any I, means. Come on, how are you going to say that and not do the George St. Pierre voice? Come on. Say it in the spirit that we know it was written in. I don't do a, a George, George. Why don't you do it? Personally, I was not impressed with her performance. No, you know what? That's a cop out. You can do it. I was not impressed with her performance. God damn it. You're just phoning it in. Go on. Read the rest <laughs> of the question. She didn't suck by any means, considering her age and experience, but I think 
This is one of those cases where because she's the first trans transgendered professional MMA fighter, she received a lot of attention, attention that a non-transgendered fighter with similar skills would never receive. I wonder if Fallon Fox, nearing the tail end of her career, almost purposefully created the media spotlight for herself in order to milk her career for every last drop. Uh, was Fallon Fox inadvertently selling wolf tickets? Whoa. So we went double UFC welterweight cliche there yeah. in one email which is pretty impressive it is impressive i think we should point out though that if i'm not mistaken and you can back me up on this since you work for the company but fallon fox didn't really out herself as a transgendered fighter or did she no not really um but you know there is a question i kind of wrote about this a little bit for usa today last week that the storyline that she has been pitching it seems is that hey i I never wanted this and now i'm you know thrust into this position as a, a pioneer forced into the spotlight. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate either. It seems like she did not, she knew at some point that she would be outed as, or would have to out herself or would have to talk about, uh, you know, being a transgender fighter. Uh, but it seemed like maybe she didn't want to do it yet. Um, but then once it happened, she did seem to get kind of, uh, aggressive about, doing the PR and it was great for the CFA. They got the deal on access, which they did not have. They got it, you know, based at least in part on the strength of the interest and the Fallon Fox thing. In answer to the question though, I also thought like once I finally sat down and watched a full fight of hers that went more than a few seconds, it's like, okay, I'm, I don't see why anybody would be concerned that she has an insurmountable advantage over anybody. I mean, not she no, didn't yeah. suck or anything. She was two and zero coming into it, so didn't have a ton of experience. But then you watch a fight and you think, yeah, the the concern that she's just going to steamroll every female fighter out there is invalid. Yeah, and to tell you the truth, I'm sort of hopeful that this can be perhaps the last time that we discuss Fallon Fox on the podcast until she becomes until she proves that she is a a, a fighter worthy of national attention. Yeah. Because I do agree with Dan Yoon that the, the, the transgendered issue, uh, got her some publicity, some of which she probably wanted, but I'm not sure that anyone would really, uh, be able to, uh, anticipate the way that it became the issue that everyone would ask any fighter just to see if they would say something stupid about it. Yeah. You know, everyone got a chance to air their idiotic opinions on the subject, including us. Yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks back. But, uh, you know, I do agree that when you, when you watch her fight, a, if you didn't know that she used to be a man, you would never know. So right. the people who, who are lining up to say that she does have this crippling advantage over uh, female opposition, that just doesn't seem to really hold water for me after, after watching her fight. Uh, and also maybe we can kind of put it on the back burner now, unless like any other female fighter, she becomes, uh, relevant in the, in a, in a much larger sense in the bigger picture of the sport. Because right now she really is just a, what, three and O fighter. Yeah. And basically we're saying, yeah, call us when you do something serious. Although, we should take a moment to mention her opponent coming out to Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady. Yeah. Wow. Classy. <laughs> yeah. Very classy. What if it just turns out, though, that that is like that's been that woman's entrance song, like her go to entrance song since 2008? And well, it's just a weird coincidence. That here. would be a very weird coincidence. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that we should mention before we move on is the submission that I've never seen before that Fallon Fox used to finish the fight where she went. It was kind of like an arm triangle almost, but she put her her knee on one side of the throat. And yeah, it was like she was working toward the north-south choke and either couldn't get there or decided instead of trying to move all the way over there that she just kind of threw her shin over there. She said she got it from watching uh, Shayna Baszler. Really? Yeah. Interesting. The Queen of Spades, Shayna Baszler. Yeah, I'd never seen that before. But, yeah. Uh, it, it was effective. It, it, it looked it looked like it should almost be illegal, putting your <laughs> knee on someone's throat and, and leaning down on them. Unpleasant. Seemed unpleasant. Unpleasant, but legal. Uh, the second question this week comes for us from Sean Sheehan. He writes... So Forrest Griffin retired. Will his legacy be the tough one finale? And should he be in the Hall of Fame? We talked about this yesterday at the uh, at the barbecue that you had at your house. Yes. Uh, and uh, so I think we have our answers prepared. I mean, it, he, the UFC has already announced that he and Stefan Bonner are going to go in the Hall of Fame together in July. Just holding uh, hands all the way, I imagine. Which uh, makes it seem a little strange that two dudes can go into the Hall of Fame for just one fight. Yeah, it is a little strange. And, you know, I heard, because I, I mentioned this on Twitter when I saw that, that, all right, what now what we've learned is that you can make it into the UFC Hall of Fame based on one fight. You know, and Forrest Griffin didn't have a bad career by any means. He was briefly the UFC light heavyweight champion, uh, you know, became became a known man and a, a 
fairly famous fighter. Uh, but you look at it's obviously when you look especially that they're going to induct Forrest and Stephen Bonner, especially Stephen Bonner, so recently after his failed steroid test thing. You know, that's kind of a a weird situation to, all right, we forgot about that. Now you're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's entirely, it seems, based on like that one fight. And so it just makes even as great a fight as that was and how it helped the USC uh, get to a new level. Is that cool to, to be in there for one fight? I feel like if you're going to do that, you almost have to create a new wing of the completely non-existent UFC Hall of Fame or whatever hallway at the Zufa LLC headquarters. They have the, the pictures up on the wall. This is a janitorial closet. Yeah, just sort of, sort of like a converted storage unit that they turned into the Hall of Fame because – Here's our I, waiting room slash Hall of Fame. There I are some magazines. I don't have a problem with you putting like great moments of the UFC in the Hall of Fame, but I feel like that needs to be its own thing. Like the the, the part- participants uh, – shouldn't be treated with in the same way that you would treat, say, Hoist Gracie or someone who goes into the Hall of Fame for for career achievements, greatness, and and his overall meaning to the sport. I mean, that was a very important fight, Stefan Bonner versus uh, Forrest Griffin won, but at the same time, those two dudes didn't go on to craft careers that would really be worthy of, of Hall of Fame status. I mean, if you're going to put Faux Griff in because uh, he was the champion during a time in the light heavyweight division that I think they actually made a rule that everyone in the division got to take the belt home for one night. It's yeah. like the Stanley Cup. You yeah. just got to take the UFC heavyweight title. Get a picture of to you your with house. it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're going to put him in for that, then it almost seems like you got to put Matt Sarah in too, right? Yeah. Because well, and here's the thing. I mean, again, we should say the UFC's Hall of Fame. They can do whatever they want with it. Uh, it's not like it's voted on, you know, by journalists or anything. We yeah, don't, but we don't it's have any janky. say. Come on, it is janky, but it's their thing. But the, the argument I see people making all the time is that hey, that fight was so important to not only the UFC but to MMA in general. And I I think people have really kind of drank the Kool Aid on that. Uh, narrative and are really exaggerating it to the point. Like sometimes I'll see people like on Twitter yesterday when I was, you know, saying that I thought it was kind of weird that you can get in for one fight and people are basically making the claim that without that fight there, you know, there is no MMA in America right now, which I think, come on, give give the damn sport some credit. Like if the, if the thing itself is cool and people want to watch it, then people would have wanted to watch it even without that one great fight. I mean, it did really help. It came at a great time for the UFC. Uh, it really helped them. But again, we get back to like, is the, is it cool for the Hall of Fame just to be a, Hey, you really helped us out. Thanks a lot. Here's your plaque kind of thing on the UFC's part. Like it's great for the UFC to find a way to reward the people who really helped their business. But do we want, I mean, I guess we don't have a say in it because it is the UFC's Hall of Fame, but is it cool to have a Hall of Fame where it, it is less about what you actually were able to accomplish as an athlete and can be entirely based on, man, you really made us a bunch of money. We appreciate that. Yeah, you're right. It's like they do own the Hall of Fame, and so they can do whatever they want, but it's also not a real Hall of Fame. No. All right, well, let's go to the last question this week. comes to us from George. He writes, Reza Madadi. Did I get close on that? Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Reza Madadi, suspected of grand theft. Jeremy Stevens, alleged assault. And Abel Trujillo. Yeah, there you go. Potential wife beater. I hadn't heard about that one. Is that true? Uh, Yeah, that that has been tossed around. Okay. Uh, The list of fighters involved in criminal activities seems even longer than the one for TRT users. My question is, is MMA filled with shady personalities and do you sometimes get uneasy around fighters? Would you ask Vitor Belfort about TRT in a room with no windows? Man, how do we even get in that room with no windows? (laughs) Maybe Vitor breaks through the wall with his superhuman strength. Well, well, then there's an exit. He broke through the wall and created that like, kind of Kool-Aid man. Not if he's hole. standing in front of it with his superhuman speed. Oh, okay. That is a problem. Uh, first of all, we should say, uh, alleged. Uh, Jeremy Stevens and his alleged. Yeah, no, ass- it, says, it says alleged oh, okay. assault. Did I skip right. that part? It says alleged assault. Okay. Uh, now that we got that out of the way, uh, we can answer the question. I don't know if it should really surprise too many people to find out that the dudes who are involved in pro fighting also sometimes uh, might get into some physical altercations outside of the cage. It's just I don't think it's that pro fighting makes you uh, more violent, but that sometimes the kind of people who are attracted to careers as pro fighters are also the kind of people who are attracted to beating the shit out of people in other situations. That, that's not so surprising. That's been the same with boxing. And it's not, it's not like that for all MMA fighters. I mean, MMA fighters are a pretty diverse group. Yeah. If anything, I would say that 
it's surprising that MMA attracts so many quality people, I think, more than, uh, you know, as you said, guys who like to beat the shit out of people, which I think, you know, is maybe the, the, the view we have of boxing in like the forties where you <laughs> yeah. just get like some tough dock worker who, who was like the, the heavyweight champion of Pier 32 and he would step in the ring and, 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 you know, become a ham and agger. Uh, MMA has a lot of dudes that, that went to college. Not that that necessarily makes you a good person, but I, I've never felt, uh, in danger. Or uncomfortable, really, while uh, uh, while covering the sport, and I, I've always found, and this is the part I feel like you have to continually explain to people who don't really follow the sport. I've always been continually surprised that most of the dudes who compete in the sport seem like good guys. Yeah. Then you almost hesitate to say that about anyone in professional sports these days, because you can go on and on about how somebody's a great guy, and then ten months later he, he commits an armed robbery or some yeah. shit like that. So yeah, but and. I don't know. I've never really felt uh, uneasy around fighters, most, mostly because I think that for them to do anything physical to a, a journalist is such a no-win situation for them. Not only are they going to get in trouble for it, but it's like, eh, if you beat up one of us, big deal. Like, I mean, you ought to be able to beat up one of us. It's really not that not that impressive an accomplishment. We're not really tough guys. They're professional tough guys. So it's not as if anybody's really going to think that that's awesome. Well, come on. Half the people on the internet would love it. Oh, they would love it. But then, I don't know. I also don't know too many journalists who, like, their position on the guy would be softened by him beating the shit out of them. I, don't, I mean... That's not. I don't see how it would help you in any way. No, it, it it wouldn't. I mean, if you're a professional fighter, essentially assaulting anyone at any time would be a bad idea. Because I have to imagine when you get to court that that doesn't play well. No. In front of the judge. No. Ask War Machine. It does not play well. Anyway, that's going to do it for uh, listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern that you would like to air to the podcast in the future, you can get in touch with us by going to the website codemainevent.com and clicking the link at the top right hand corner of the screen that says. Email the podcast. And who knows, if you email the podcast and we didn't read your, your question on air, you might find yourself in uh, this week's GIF Parade. That's right. A new feature to the website. The uh, Is it GIF or JIF? I have always said GIF, and I'm just going to keep doing it. All right. Well, I'm going to say JIF because it's just to be different from you. All right. Well, between I'm, the two of us, we should have it covered. Yeah, we should get it down. The new feature that uh, I think is going to come out on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Or whenever. Whenever you get it done, yeah. the, the GIF Parade. Uh, GIF. Until we run out of GIFs. Until we run out of GIFs. Yeah. There's plenty of GIFs out there. So, yeah, no, that'll happen this week because we got another crush of TRT related oh, emails boy. that we didn't, we couldn't read on the, that we spared you the listener from. Uh, we didn't want to read on the podcast, but we'll, we'll make great fodder for the GIF parade. Yeah. Be plenty of gifts to go along with that. All right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead right now and get started with round number one. Well, Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos each did essentially what he was supposed to do at UFC 160, uh, though Dos Santos certainly found ways to make it interesting at times before he finally put an exclamation point on things with the spinning heel kick that we can all agree on. Now, I guess barring some unforeseen Josh Koscheck-esque falling out over at AKA, it seems like we're going to see these dudes fight for a third time on yep. a scale of 1 to 10 Ben, how excited for you about it? And explain your answer. I'm I'm up there in the the high nines. That that excited? I am excited for this one. I think, I mean, we've seen uh, title fight trilogies in the UFC before, but it seems to me like most of the other situations have been. By the time we get to the third one, we're just kind of doing it out of obligation. We, we know how it's going to go. Like kind of like like GSP Matt Hughes 3 where it was like, okay, Matt Hughes won one before GSP really was the the dominant force that he became. By the time they got to the third one, man, we were doing it just because it kind of felt like we had to. We knew it was going to happen there though. Uh, or like Andre Olovsky, Tim Sylvia where by the time we got to the third one, we were just so fucking sick of it. This one though I feel is – Genuinely hard to predict how it's going to go. Uh, and after the, the first two fights, I don't see how they produce a boring one for the third one. I th and, and having two heavyweights there that are seem like they're so close together battling out for number one and number two. I mean, I think that's exactly what a trilogy fight should be. It's something we haven't seen in a long time. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I'm not going to go quite as high as, as, uh, as the high nines. Yeah. Nine, seven, nine, eight. Wow. Yeah. I'd say, you know, 85. Uh, That's not bad. I'm, I'm reasonably excited for this fight for the reasons that, uh, that you mentioned. And I would, I would say that, you know, while I thought that this second fight was more representative of the actual pecking order in the decision or in the division than the, than the first one, uh, it does seem like a third fight where anything could happen because Dos Santos could still certainly win this thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see after the second fight kind of went so horribly for him. Uh, it would be interesting to see what, if any adjustments he has made because one of the things that I think he absolutely needs to stop doing is just sort of backing up against the cage when the other guy comes at him and throws a flurry because that's where Velasquez caught him with a punch. And on Saturday night, we saw him do that a number of times against against Mark Hunt. And like I said in the intro, it made things interesting in that fight because, boy, it was nerve-wracking every time he did it. Yeah, uh, he did do that way more than uh, I'm sure his corner wanted him to because that was the only time when Mark Hunt really seemed like he was in danger of really doing something to him. But, you know, I think Junior Dos Santos deserves a lot of credit for having that loss to, to Cain Velasquez and then coming back, you know, just a matter of months later and did not seem really affected by it because that was a beatdown that Cain Velasquez put on him. And it seemed like the kind that, you know, might change some people's careers. And Junior Dos Santos comes back a few months later, doesn't look gun shy at all, doesn't look afraid of, of taking a shot if he has to. Uh, seems like, you know, he got all the good stuff that you needed to get out of a loss, learned all the stuff that, that he needed to learn, um, but did not get, you know, hung up on it too much to where it affected him negatively. And uh, that's tougher to do than I think people realize, especially when you're fighting a guy like Mark Hunt, where you know, you know, one, he can take a hell of a shot, uh, and two, he can give you a hell of a shot. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that that kind of stuff could get in your head, especially if you just come off a fight like that with Cain Velasquez. And Judo Santos looked great. And he's up there. He's clearly up on the scorecards in the third round throwing spinning shit. Come yeah, on. that was impressive. We, we, I did not see that coming. No. And, of course, always good to see a guy who that we have reason to believe is not on performance-enhancing drugs go out there and knock out a guy with a, with a spinning heel kick. Yeah. See, isn't that – doesn't that feel so much better, people? Yeah. He knocks out the guy with an amazing kick, and we don't have to then turn around and go, oh, but TRT. No. We can just enjoy it. Just enjoy it for what it is while we watch Mark Hunt stagger to his feet and fall into the cage. <laughs> At the same time, Cain Velasquez comes out and essentially blows through uh, – Antonio Bigfoot Silva in a way that was far yeah. less bloody, though, you know, just as dominant and, uh, and even more short lived than the first fight. Uh, what do you think? Quick stoppage? No, I don't think that because these are heavyweights, man. These dudes hit hard. And if you get dropped and you go hands and knees on the camera or on the canvas and the other dude, uh, pours, I think he's landed like 11 or 12 unanswered shots. Uh, d- d- some to the back of the head, some to the side of the head. Yeah. Uh, if you do that, that fight's going to get stopped, dude, unless you're Brock Lesnar and you might have slipped Steve Mazzagotti a couple grand before the fight just to let Shane Carwin punch himself out. You know, I don't feel like that stoppage is worth complaining over, but I do feel like we do this thing sometimes where, like the argument that you just made, that we will make many times where we say, hey, you got to know that that fight's going to be stopped in that situation if you're not doing anything. But then we're basically saying like, Hey, you got to know that you might get screwed because that's the situation where people get screwed. I mean, I that's feel like a, that's not a screwing though. That's not a screw job. If you get punched in the fucking face and drop <laughs> on your hands and knees and the other dude punches you in the head 12 times and you don't really do anything about it, that's not a screw job. Yeah. That's I, you getting beat up. That's I feel what that like is. he it did not seem like Bigfoot Silva was terribly affected by those follow-up blows on the ground. It seemed like he no, was trying true, to work that up. No, that's true, but if you're the referee, it's not like you can give the guy a, a field sobriety test before you stop the fight. That's true. That's a valid point. There's a 245-pound man on top of him teeing off on his, on his noggin. Again, I don't feel like it's worth, compl- like, hey, bad stoppage. And I think we all saw where that one was going anyway. But I do feel like... Title fight, you give the guy just a little more of a chance to show that he's still in it. And I also thought back to that uh, Mike Pyle-Rick Story fight on the prelims where Pyle just got goddamn flattened by Rick Story in the first round. I mean, just laid out. to where, And it looked like that one could have been stopped right there. Uh, and it wasn't. And, and Pyle managed to get back in it and won the decision. So, I don't know. I feel like you give the guy a little bit of a chance until it's clear that, you know, he's just, he's not in it anymore. We can always 
playing back and forth. Although then we look back to the first and uh, Antonio Silva came Velasquez fight where uh, a bloodied Bigfoot just lay there getting elbowed in the face uh, before we finally had seen enough. So I guess you can't win if you're a ref. No, you can't win. And and in large part in MMA, referees discretion is always going to play a pretty big uh, factor in how fights get stopped. And the, the Mike uh, Pyle, Rick Story fight didn't get stopped and this Bigfoot Silva Cain Velasquez fight did, but I don't know, man. I'm just not I'm not into piling on the refs for the stoppages because I do think that they can't win. It's either they stop it too early or they stop it too late. And yeah. I don't really think guys should adjust the way they are officiating a fight because it's a title fight or because it's a fight in any different position, because then I feel like you get yourself back into this situation in MMA that we put ourselves in a lot where we just arbitrarily decide that things are going to be different or that we're going to have some sliding scale for officials, which I feel like uh, puts even more uh, emphasis on their already really difficult job and, and gives them even more things to worry about. I just think you go out there and ref every fight the same. Really? Think you ref a UFC title fight the same as you ref you know, a fight on a local show between two guys who are like two and zero and three and one. No, that's where I would say that you can have a difference, especially if it's like an amateur fight or whatever. But like, if if you're in a situation where guys are competing at the highest level and it's a fight where you're like, well, any other fight I would stop this, but I'm not gonna stop it because it's a championship fight. That's I think where you get into problems. Yeah, you you could be right, but you know, again, it didn't seem like that outcome was going to be affected too much. I mean, Cain Velasquez, and it kind of seems now like you look back on it, it's kind of a screw job for Cain Velasquez in this fight because by the time the fight happened, he was nearly a 10 to one favorite because of all the late money coming in on it. Everybody knew that he was going to go in there and beat up Antonio Silva. He goes in there, he beats him up. Uh, the, you know, the borderline quick stoppage maybe deprives him of a chance to really put a stamp on the victory. He doesn't really get much of a pop from this, you know? It's it's no, a first he, successful t- title defense for him in two tries with the heavyweight title, but it doesn't really – I mean, I'm sure it feels nice and everything for him right now, but it does not really feel like a huge accomplishment to go out there and beat Bigfoot Silva again. No, but he was in that position from the moment they announced the fight. True. Uh, at the same time, I see a lot of guys – reacting to the fight being like, well, Cain Velasquez is the most dominant person we've ever seen. He's never going to lose the title. <laughs> there like we they, go. These people have never seen the UFC heavyweight division before. Yeah. And then when he loses, be like, I knew he wasn't that yeah, great. I can't believe we ever thought that bum was good. Uh, is he, is, is he that dominant? I'm a, I'm a big Cain Velasquez supporter. I think he's a great fighter. I think he's really, uh, he's got good all around skills. He's got uh, a kind of athleticism and a gas tank that certainly sets him apart from a lot of the rest of the division. But at the same time, this is the UFC heavyweight title. History tells us he's going to lose his next title defense. Yeah. Uh, is he, can he be as dominant as, as people are expecting him to be now? Just like Dos Santos backing up against the cage, I feel like Cain Velasquez sometimes does stuff in his fights where it makes me really nervous when I watch him do it like that. Even in this Bigfoot fight, the very first takedown that he shot for immediately after the opening bell was, it was ugly, man. It didn't look good. He he wound up like on his hands and knees while Bigfoot kind of stepped away from him. And and I think you go out and and do those kind of things against someone uh, who, who's a little bit more on your level. He's going to make you pay for it. You know, it's tough for me to tell how dominant Cain Velasquez is at this point. It, obviously, you know, he came into the UFC really early in his career, but he's still only twelve and one. Uh, and the last four fights have been against the same two dudes. Uh, so I don't, I feel like if he wins the third fight with Junior Dos Santos, then that will really cement him as number one. Uh, but I feel like he and Junior Dos Santos are so close at one and two there that if those guys fight 10 times, you know, you might get five and five. It, it, it's tough to say. So, I mean, with any heavyweight champion, I think that everybody always, I think, expects like we keep waiting for some kind of messiah right. to finally be the guy who can defend that belt a few times and hold on to it and become, you know, the Anderson Silva or the GSP of the heavyweight division. Uh, it seems like just on a long enough timeline, shit, that has to happen eventually. I just don't know if we're there yet. Yeah. And, and like you said at the beginning, I think the thing that's really exciting and very positive about this particular matchup is that it's a rivalry in the heavyweight division, which is a thing that, w- that we haven't really had too many of in the past. You know, you mentioned, uh, Arlovsky Sylvia, which was by the end sort of a, a, a pain. 
And then, you know, you have Lesnar-Mir, which I suppose passed for for a heavyweight rivalry. And aside from that, I don't know if you have had a ton of great long-standing rivalries in the heavyweight division. And uh, I think having one between Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos, who are both, you know, pretty likable and able guys, uh, is is good for the division. I hope that uh, that the third fight delivers. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, I'm sure we'll get into this in the next round, that these two guys having two really good guys up there vying for that spot back and forth, trading the belt uh, between each other. And then you look down the ranks, and it's not as if it's just a drop off a cliff after that. You actually have some good heavyweights hanging around the UFC now. Uh, and man, look back in those Arlovsky-Silva years, it wasn't always the case. No, it wasn't. Yeah, you have a pretty good cop, uh, crop of heavyweight contenders right now with uh, Cormier, Verdum still hanging around, Overeem, I suppose. Uh, still coming back. Barnett obviously just signed. We'll talk about him in the in the next round, and uh, along with Roy Nelson, and and as always, the specter of John Jones hanging out there somewhere down the road. Well, that's going to do it for us for round number one. Uh, right now, we're going to welcome in Sir Nigel Longstock, and he's going to lead us in another edition of Master Tweet Theater. It is that magical time again where we welcome back to the show noted theatricalist Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am well. Yeah, I see your the holiday weekend seems to have restored uh, some of the, the youthful vigor to your your pate. Much of my natural color has returned and the lift in my buttocks. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave that to everybody's imagination. For those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel is going to read us off some tweets. Chad and I are going to try and guess who the tweeter in question is. Uh, and it'll probably go down in flames if we we'll hold things over. So, Nigel, whenever you're ready, hit us with the first one. <clears throat> yes, let us begin. <clears throat> Tweet the first. In Vegas for the past few days, sat outside by the pool today. The water was even too cold for a polar bear like me. Okay. Is that all one tweet? All one tweet, sir. 139 characters. You counted them up, huh? Uh, well, I'm estimating. <laughs> all right. Chad? Well, that is a tough one. Uh, someone who is in Vegas and is used to cold weather. Uh, I'm going to guess Misha Tate. Really? Yeah. Washington, it's cold there. You feel like Misha Tate would describe herself as a polar bear? I don't. I don't, Being I don't a, think a, so. A polar bear is a thing, though, right? Like a person who likes cold water. Oh, I hadn't considered that. It's not like the big, like a gay bear, like you're always using it. With a mental <laughs> disorder, a bipolar bear. <laughs> well, I think I think we've all known some bipolar bears in our life. Uh, I'm going to say Matt Mitrion. Hmm. What? He's from, like, Wisconsin or Minnesota or somewhere, right? I believe he's from Indiana. It's cold Illinois. there, right? It's cold. Mm-hmm. Nigel. Both fine guesses, both as usual wrong. It is in fact Dan Severin oh. at Dan B. Severin with his triannual tweet. Damn it. And I did hear that he came to the, the UFC offices uh, with a friend to get a free tour. So we knew he was in Las Vegas and I mean, he is a polar bear. Well, Look at the man. And you know he's from Coldwater, Michigan. Damn it. So there you go. That one was staring us right in the face. That one was almost too easy. And yet, <clears throat> tweet the second. This is a visual tweet for all of you podcast listeners at home. Close your eyes and prepare to visualize. Working on balance in my postures. Hashtag lock the knee. And an image of the tweeter in question doing standing separate leg head to knee pose. Prati Hadarostami? Uh, I believe I it is Johnny Shirasana, Parahastasana, Pashimotanasana. Well, I can't quite punch you in the face from where you're sitting. Get Move a little closer. No. <laughs> um, I'm going to say that that is hot yoga enthusiast Johnny Hendricks. Uh, I'm going to go with the recent yoga convert Chris Lieben here. Oh, okay. Both fine guesses, both recent yogis. However, it is Dan Hardy. Oh, God damn it. Third beloved fighter succumbs to the Hindu exercises. <laughs> that seems like another one we should have known. Uh, you know, I don't regret anything about our guesses there. I thought between the two of us, we were definitely going to nail that one. But, uh, hey, lesson learned, right? Yes, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? I don't care for your tone today. Mm-hmm. Tweet the third. <laughs> 
Uh, pardon me. Tweet the third. Yeah, now what? Mm. Put your shit together. I'd blow my brains out if only I could do so more than once. What? I'd blow my brains out if only I could do so more than once. Is that a quote from a famous person that MMA fighters love to retweet? It is not, although he did put it in quotation marks for some reason. I'm going to say Poet Philip Baroni. Yeah, that's what I was going to do, too, right there. Uh, I guess if you're going to do Poet, I'll go Miguel Torres. Okay. Hmm. Both fine guesses. Both, as usual, wrong. God it is it. War Machine. Oh. Savoring the prospect of suicide, except that it would deprive him of the opportunity to kill himself. <laughs> well, all right. I can't say that's wholly shocking. You normally are really good about sniffing out the War Machine. I know. Tweets. I thought that. I know. That was a little offbeat, though. I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Both too dark and too hopeful to be a war machine. <laughs> Tweet the fourth. We're giving away a couple more America Jiu-Jitsu shirts. This time, kid shirts. Do you have a kid that would dot, dot, dot? <laughs> what? Are you, did you look and see if there were follow-up tweets that related to this? No, there's only a photograph of a t-shirt. Okay, well, American Jiu-Jitsu shirts, I'm going to say that's Jake Shields. Just based on that. It's a good guess. Uh, da, 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 da. I guess I'll go Gilbert Melendez. Why not? Keep okay. it in the, in the family. Yeah. Both fine guesses. One far finer than the other. It is Jake Shields. Boom. Excited about a child wearing his shirt, but then kind of just loses steam. Yeah, kind of loses interest after yeah. he thinks about it. He doesn't care. Do you have a kid? I don't know. Put a shirt on him. Yeah. Well, what do I care? Don't. Let him run around naked. Fuck it. Hmm. Tweet the fifth. I can't wait to crush this Suzuki motherfucker. That's got to be the poet Phil Baroni, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope. I hope it is. It is! Yay! It is the poet Phil Baroni, his words echoing down through the ages to that Suzuki motherfucker. Oh, man. I'm just waiting for the next Phil Baroni tweet that says, I'm in fucking Japan. I thought that was tweet of the year. You know, I came really close to getting skunked there. If not for that softball at the end. Yeah. I, and so I don't, I don't know, man. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel that good about what I was able to do here today. Really? I feel like... Theater. No, we got off to a rough start, but I feel like we kind of pulled it up out of the nosedive there at the very end. Uh, that's a respectable showing. Uh, Sir Nigel, uh, we thank you for coming by. What do you got going on this week? Well, it is extremely unusual and, in fact, peculiar, you should ask. Um, but I'm currently in rehearsals for the sequel to Harry and the Hendersons. Harry and Dan Henderson. That one seems like it's going to have a limited audience. I'm just going to be honest with you. Well, at first, Harry does not like living with Dan Henderson, but eventually he comes to appreciate his simple ways. Well, you know, Chad, do you ever find it odd that Sir Nigel only seems to appear in sequels? And, you know... Oh, I figured he was a character actor who probably only gets called for sequels. Does that make... Is that a thing? Yeah. No, that's definitely a thing. Either that or he, maybe he's just lying. I don't know. What? Well, this is something for us all that... Take some some real serious uh, thoughts about, but uh, so Nigel, I guess that's all we need from you today. Thank you for stopping by. This has been Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Well, Chad, you made reference in the intro to the, I think you said, magical win streaks of Mark Hunt and Bigfoot Silva. That's right. Of course, and I Big... used uh, considerable restraint to not apply more adjectives, I think. <laughs> well. Wonderful. Uh, magical implies that you think that uh, maybe they were fighting above their ability. Uh, I would also point out Bigfoot Silva's win streak, this magical win streak, I believe was at two. Still pretty good for two, heavyweight. Two fights. Still pretty good. Uh, but, Okay. The heavyweight division, pretty interesting now. You got guys, you got the, the old school kind of pride guys like Mark Hunt. Uh, you got guys like, like Bigfoot Silva, who people have a tough time taking seriously, but he can still knock your head off your shoulders. Now you've added Josh Barnett. You got Roy Nelson hanging around there, stepping up to take a fight with Stipe Miosic. 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 Uh, Stipe, though, great, Stipe. a great first name. Yeah. It sounds like something you'd yell when you got excited at a soccer match. <laughs> Stipe! <laughs> or, yeah, like some, some game you, you play with uh, weird-looking dominoes that nobody else knows the rules to, and you throw it down. <laughs> Stipe, motherfucker, what? Uh, but 
you got a pretty interesting heavyweight division going on yeah, in the absolutely. UFC now. Uh, okay, here's my question. We think about guys like Mark Hunt where it was kind of, well, we don't know what will happen if he wins here. We think about guys like Bigfoot Silva where he gets a title fight and everybody's like, okay, but seriously, we know that this isn't the real title fight. What's the real one? And then you got guys like Roy Nelson who the UFC seems to have a hard time taking seriously. Uh, it seems like we're kind of split right now in the heavyweight division between like, okay – you got your your lovable giants and your fat dudes, and then your really good athletes, uh, and those are the guys we're, we're serious about. Is it me? I don't think that happens in any other division. Uh, well, heavyweight has always been susceptible to more irregularity, I guess you would say, <laughs> wow. than a lot of the other divisions. Because what are you, just, the, you're just talking around it right the now. Weight, no, because the weight limit is so wide, right? You can yeah. be anywhere from 206 pounds to 265 pounds. And, and so there's, you know, fat dudes can and do show up to fight in that division. Yeah. And it, it lends itself to a certain, I'm trying to think of a word that... Volatility? Yeah, in the, in the division, I suppose. But... Uh, you're right. I don't think we do that in in other divisions. And you know that the fact remains: heavyweights are just sort of larger than life, especially these days in, in mixed martial arts. When uh, it, it ain't like boxing, when you know when Mike Tyson was heavyweight champion and he was like rolling around five ten, two hundred and twenty pounds. These dudes that compete in the in the heavyweight division in mixed martial arts now are gigantic individuals. And I guess suppose that's its appeal because you go in there and. Uh, uh, the margin for error is so slim that if one guy puts them Christmas hams on somebody else's jaw, the, the, the fight's going to be over, which is the thing that I think attracts a lot of casual fans and perhaps gives more hardcore MMA fans a little bit of pause. You know, and I've always had this weird reaction to the allure of the heavyweights in MMA because I get that, hey, they finish fights. Um, that I mean, that also lends itself to the volatility we talked about at the top where nobody can hold on to the belt. Uh, but watching this fight card, especially you know, as we kind of built up in weight uh, as the night went on to end with two heavyweight fights, especially now that we have actual like talented fighters and good athletes in the heavyweight division, rather than you know ten years ago when all the good big guys were playing football or basketball, and you know we had the tough bar bouncers left over uh, to some extent. I feel like now I'm starting to get it. I I really am starting to feel the appeal of the heavyweights now because both those fights, you look at that and you think, well, I, I know that this probably won't be boring uh, and probably won't make me sit through a judge's decision. And that alone has an appeal. Right. Yeah. No, I think the action is getting uh, is getting better at that division. And I think the fight that really underscores that is is the Dos Santos hunt fight, because, right. you know, the Velasquez Bigfoot fight was was kind of a that's how heavyweight fights go. You know, they, they run at each other and, and someone gets hit with a short clipping right yeah, hand. Somebody and, falls down and it's over the the hunt. JDS fight I thought was even more exemplary just because it was a fight that damn near went to decision and you you know I I would say historically maybe the knock against the heavyweight division was when you get two guys who get into the long drawn out three round uh fight that they would really slow down and by the third they would both be grabbing on the hem of their shorts and just breathing at each other that didn't happen in this fight this was almost Sort of like that perfect heavyweight fight between Dos Santos and Hunt because, uh, you know, one guy was, was showcasing his skills in Dos Santos and the other guy certainly steeped the tension throughout the entire fight. It was a very tense fight because, uh, you kept feeling like if Mark Hunt could just land one serious bomb, on on Dos Santos's jaw that that he could still win it you yeah. know he could still uh shock the world so to speak and come back from from this deficit and win uh so you had the action you had this tension and then at the end Dos Santos pulls out this amazing highlight reel finish so yeah it was an incredible i thought heavyweight fight and one that i think you're right speaks to maybe the uh the quality of the competition in that division right now. Well, I got to think it's only getting better now that the UFC has successfully signed Josh Barnett. We're told. What do you What do you think Josh Barnett can do right now? How big an impact can he have in the UFC heavyweight division? Well, I mean, Barnett is a uh, he's an he's always been an interesting guy. Uh, he's I feel like as a as an individual, he's fairly likable, but he has that sort of cloud of steroid. Uh, uh, suspicion still hanging. I mean, some people are just never going to let go of it. And, and at this point, I'm definitely surprisingly little shit for it when you consider it. 
Really, I, I feel like the overwhelming internet response to Josh Barnett whenever he comes up are just are the guys who who talk about steroids all the time. Which, frankly, I guess he deserves because he he t- he tested positive for steroids what twice? Uh, I think three times. Three actually. times, uh, and, and, and the one destroyed affliction basically ruined that Fedor fight and uh affliction went down the drain right, right after that. So, so that's kind of a big one. And I mean after the last few weeks I feel like I just have a really uh performance enhancing drugs induced feeling of fatigue. And so yeah. I want to be happy that Josh Barnett's in the UFC, but I still have this snagging feeling like oh god, you know, it's just another dude who's who's plagued by these these this drug issue that that still lingers in his past. The other thing I would say about Barnett, uh, certainly talented enough to have an impact in the heavyweight division, but he's always been a dude who acted at least publicly like he could really take it or leave it. You know what I mean? And, and God bless him. The guy has other streams of revenue that he can go to. You know, he's a professional wrestler over in Japan, which my understanding is that that's always been really lucrative for him. So, uh, you know, he's always, especially when he was not in a major promotion before he went, went to strike force, uh, and in between, you know, his first UFC stint, he always kind of acted like, I don't care if I ever get back there. Those guys know my number. They can call me if they want to engage my services. So, and, and that I think if on one, from one perspective is really admirable for a guy to have that kind of attitude. But at the same time, the sport is so grueling and difficult and, and, you know, demands so much from guys. It's hard for me to believe that a guy could like become the champion or have success at the very, very highest level when his heart's not 100% in it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what your goals are. If your goals are to make some money, uh, and hang around and, uh, and, you know, have some interesting fights that fill your bank accounts. So you can buy more cars, which judging by his Twitter is one of Josh Barnett's hobbies. Uh, then, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't feel like he has to be the UFC heavyweight champion at this point in order for his career to be fulfilling. I don't know. I think that there are more guys out there that ha- I think we all assume that all these fighters are just thinking only about being the champion and that if you're not doing that, you should get out. I think there are more guys than will admit it publicly who uh, are really thinking of it as, hey, if I could be the champion, that'd be awesome. But really, I want to keep showing up to fight and keep getting paid as long as possible. Yeah, that's probably valid. And that may be as good a segue as we could possibly have to talking about Roy Nelson, Ooh. who, uh, who, well, he's on a little run right now. I feel like he's... Did uh, you call it magical? I would call it magical, mysterious. I would call it wonderful. <laughs> it's it's heartwarming, uh, you know. And and he this week it it was uh, it, it revealed that he's going to step in to fight Stipe Miocic, which seems like kind of a weird fight for Roy Nelson. Does like seem kind like of a, a fight uh, right step. I don't want to say step back, but like not a fight that's going to uh, do that much for him in terms of advancing his cause in the heavyweight division. Yeah, I mean, fighting a guy coming off a loss to, to Stefan Struve, it seemed like uh, Roy Nelson felt like, hey, he's going to do a solid for the UFC here. Which is not like him, right? Well, maybe he has uh, come around to the idea that A, doing a solid for the UFC uh, is good for the bottom line, and B, that if you are trying to get them to take you seriously uh, and talk about you in terms of a, a title shot, uh it doesn't hurt to be liked. It doesn't hurt for them to have a high opinion of you. Uh, but yeah, it did seem like after his last win, we talked about, okay, well, who, who would he need to fight in order to put himself in that position where he wants to be? Stipe Miocic. Mio, Miocic. Stipe. Stipe was no, he's not, not he's on not anybody's list. the first dude who comes to mind, yeah. right? Uh, but I don't know. I mean... Roy Nelson, I think one of the things that he really has going for him is that even if he doesn't always get along uh, with Dana White and, and doesn't always uh, play nice in, in that regard, uh, the dude likes to show up and fight. Yes, he does. And he's a, he's a, a popular for it, and uh, he deserves it. I guess and we kind of gloss right over uh, Big Nog and Fabricio Verdum. Right, however, yeah, and Verdum Fighting is, in between them. He's almost like the unheard of man in this division right now. He's probably a top five guy, and, and when you look at the at the potential contenders who are out there, you know, he's he's right there uh, if he gets by Nogueira. And, and it, I mean, they're doing – they're coaching tough down in Brazil, right? I, I hear. I yeah, mean, just, see, that's the thing, it though. It feels like they just take him off the, the playing surface here yeah. in America. We just don't hear from him. Like they've just been stuck on Gilligan's Island or something. We never hear from him. Uh, and every once in a while, you're reminded, oh, yeah, that's why we haven't heard from them in a while. They're off doing a reality show that, that we haven't been watching. Uh, all in all, though, heavyweight division, you know, better than ever. Yeah. 
let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we okay. will move on to uh, round number three. Are You Fucking Kidding Me? The part of the show that gives everyone who disagrees with us a ready-made hashtag with which to follow up their, their snarky emails yeah. and tweets. A cuddle to use against us. Uh, ben, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to the main event of CFA 11, which aired on Axis Fights this this past Friday. Uh, CFA, I don't know if you know this, stands for Championship Fighting Alliance. I did know that. Just three random fighting-related words that they threw together to make the name of a company. It certainly seemed like every uh, minor MMA organization ends with FA at this point, right? It does. And, you know, this particular one, the main event uh, that they had on Friday, which pit uh, Travis Few against uh, Mike Kyle, it was sort of... Everything that reminds you why independent MMA promotions at times can be scary and a little bit seedy and hard to watch because you had Travis Few roll in off the heels of three straight losses on short notice to fill in for Valentine Overeem, by the way, which which tells you what you're dealing with (laughs) right off the top. Uh, He gets in there with Mike Kyle and in about 15 seconds, Kyle punches him behind the ear and drops him to the canvas and then hits him with a hammer fist and looks at the ref like, hey. You gonna stop this? <laughs> and the ref was like, nope. <laughs> so Kyle hit Travis Few with another hammer fist right in the middle of the face. And then uh, we had about 15 minutes where it was pretty terrifying and they had to bring in the oxygen uh, to, to put on Travis View. And I guess it finally turned out that he was okay. But now Travis View has lost four fights in a row, three of them by first round knockout. So it was pretty frightening. And frankly, when you watch him get knocked out like that by Mike Kyle, and then lay there like a dead person. It's the sort of thing that uh, makes you feel like between the poor refereeing and the mismatches and maybe the shaky oversight from various state athletic commissions, we could see something really ugly happen at one of these independent five promotions that still gets aired on national television. Uh, so all in all, as I was sitting on my couch watching it, I thought to myself, are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Also, Mike Kyle and Mike Pyle should not be allowed to fight on the same weekend. No, confusing. Very yeah. confusing. We already went, went through that last week. Yeah, that's, that's, that's t- trouble. My Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to the, the curtain jerker at UFC 160, the bout between Jeremy Stevens and Estevan Payan. Uh, Chad, I don't know if you saw the fight or if you just saw the remnants of it on the mat for the rest of the night, but God damn, was it ever a bloodbath. It's one of those, like, like it reminded me of an episode of First 48 where they come into some, you know, little dingy apartment and look at the kitchen floor and there's just a huge pool of blood and you think, uh-oh, uh-oh, this isn't good. And, you know, at one point, Jeremy Stevens is on Esteban Payan's back, you know, just kind of hanging out there and they are sitting, the two of them, they're sitting in a growing pool of blood and Jeremy Stevens then drags his foot through the pool of blood. You can see where his foot, like, smears through it. And again, all I can think is, man, the the St. Louis homicide cops or whatever are totally going to get you for this one, Jeremy Stevens. Look, look, there's your footprint right there in the blood, man. Uh, so my, are you fucking kidding me? Just kind of goes out to to that fight in general. Not that I think anybody could have done anything differently, or that it would have been kind of a a weak move to stop it just based on grossness. Right. So kind of, you're doing kind of a gross. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Me? Like kind of like a. Oh, you fucking yeah. kidding me? Yeah. I'm just kind of just. Are you fucking kidding me that that really Ugh. happened? Ugh. Yeah. And then everybody has to keep slipping around on Pian's blood all night long. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding? What me? is that? All right. Well, that's gonna do it for this round. We will be right back with round number three. Ben, TJ Grant had been on one of the quieter win streaks in the company, I suppose you could say, because even though he had five straight in the sport's uh, most competitive weight class, I don't feel like we really gave him his due until this past weekend. Uh, Part of that, I think, was maybe that he had beat guys like Matt Wyman and Evan Dunham uh, in his last two fights, but this win over Gray Maynard at UFC 160 was his first real marquee win. Uh, At this point, considering what we saw him do to Gray Maynard, just sort of manhandle him, how dangerous do you think Travis, TJ, Grant, 
uh, is for uh, uh, Benson Henderson when when they eventually meet up, I guess, in their in their uh, light lightweight title fight, which has been booked. Well, first, I feel like we should talk about your theory that T.J. Grant is really just Jeremy Horn with a fake ID. It's possible. Either that or I was thinking about this. Maybe T.J. Grant is Jeremy Horn's younger brother. Okay, hadn't thought about that. I've never seen them together in the same in the same environment in the same room. Maybe they don't know their brothers. How about that? Sitcom. Yeah. Boom. Uh, you know, I, I felt I kind of went back and was looking at, at T.J. Grant's record after this because it, it seems like he's one of those guys where he kind of came out of nowhere as a lightweight, started winning a couple fights, and you thought, okay, this guy's starting to get a little head of steam going. I wonder where it'll end. Uh, but then he goes out there and knocks Gray Maynard out in the first round. And you think, hey, we we might have something here. We might have, you know, the, the, the pasty Canadian dude with the awesome beard might actually become UFC lightweight champion. But I think that depending on your perspective, uh, this is exactly the kind of thing that Ben Henderson needs, though. He needs somebody that's going to come out there and, and try and take it to him and, and force something more interesting to happen because I was honestly kind of dreading a Gray Maynard Benson Henderson lightweight title fight. I feel like I already know how that fight would go and it would be five rounds and it would not be that fun to watch. This I'm a little more excited about, especially after TJ Grant goes out there and, and, and puts a stamp on Gray Maynard. That's right. Well, the, at least the TJ Graham Ben Henderson fight has the potential to give us a, a definitive outcome. Yeah, because we know what T.J. Grant's going to do and we know what Ben Henderson is going to do. And and one of those dudes is going to make the other dude have to uh, stop him, I think. I don't don't think Ben Henderson can can eke out a five round decision against T.J. Grant, I I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'd be surprised if that's how it went, because I feel like T.J. Grant is just going to be too big and and too strong and and too intent on on uh, uh, imposing his own put my hand on your face game plan. Yeah. But you never know. I mean, maybe uh, that would be a, a triumph of the, the Benson Henderson uh, strategy is if he's able to, to force that on TJ Grant to take TJ Grant style and force him into like a slow paced round by round uh, point fighting kind of situation. Uh, you know, I, I do think though that what, some of the stuff that Henderson gets is not fair because the other guy is also playing, you know, he, he takes two to have that kind of a fight most of the time. Uh, but I think that this matchup is the, exactly the kind of thing he, he needs, or it'll be the kind of thing that results in him losing his title. One of those two things. Yeah. And I think he's, a, I think TJ Grant's a pretty serious threat. Cause even when he was back at, at welterweight, it's not like he was terrible. I think he went three and three for in, uh, 2009 and 2010. So it's not like he was a complete joke. He had certainly gotten to the point where, uh, he probably wasn't going to be a title contender. And I think that was probably the, the, the impetus behind him dropping down to lightweight and turned out to be the right move for him because he's been on a real tear ever since he did that. It, 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 uh, you know, we haven't seen anybody really be able to, uh, to, uh, stop what, what he brings to the table at, at 155 pounds. And, and I think that'll be, if anything, uh, an interesting test for Ben Henderson, who is himself a very big lightweight and is used to having the size and strength advantage when, when he gets in the cage with people. I th- also, I love when a fighter is just pasty white like that and doesn't do anything about it. Doesn't try and hit the tanning salon and, and, and try and look good for TV. No, it's just going to, Take your shirt off and, and, and you get what you get. Yeah, almost. I'm into it. There is almost no more I don't give a fuck look in life than the totally not tanned mixed martial arts fighter who's bald but has a beard and has those gigantic cauliflower ears. Like you yeah. see that dude in any uh, social interaction and immediately you're just like, well, this guy doesn't give a shit. I'm yeah. gonna have to be careful around this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna cut in line of in front of him at the at the truck stop because you know he's here trying to get his four pack of Mickey's. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think the only way you can give less of show that you give less of a fuck is if you're pasty white except for like a t-shirt tan. When you clearly we can see like the the neckline of your t-shirt and like where the sleeve goes down to on your arm. That's when you know. Like that guy spends zero time looking at himself in the mirror and thinking about positive changes he could make. <laughs> I respect that. I, yeah, I do too. Uh, so what now for Gray Maynard? Here, here was a guy who, you know, just very recently had this unbelievable series of fights with with Frankie Edgar, and you know, was was 
centimeters, just a, a hair's breadth away from being a lightweight champion. He comes into this uh, number one contender fight where he's favored, and then uh, he gets he gets knocked out. It seems like you know he he's a guy that uh, that is going to have to make some changes. Uh, I don't know what what should do because he already changed camps. He went over to AKA uh, from Extreme Couture, but he's he's got his work cut out for him now if he wants to once again be considered sort of an elite contender in that division. Yeah, that he he's in a tough spot after that, one, especially losing the way he did. You know, I I certainly didn't see that coming. You know, I thought if if Brent beat him, he'd have to take him into the later rounds. Uh, but to go out there and get knocked out first round like that, and then you know you look back, he had that kind of disappointing fight with Clay Guida where Guida definitely had a strategy in mind, uh, even if nobody else really understood it that well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it has been a, a little while since he's had a good night in the octagon. And here's the point where everybody is tempted to try and fix their problems by changing weight classes, right? Isn't this what, what you do? I mean, TJ Grant actually makes that look like a good idea because he hasn't lost since dropping down to lightweight. But for everybody else, it usually seems like that's the point where you try and get a clean slate um, and then you eventually realize that it really wasn't the weight that was the big problem. Yeah, and and... 145 seems like a long way to go for Gray Maynard. He's he's a big, strong guy for 155 pounds. It seems like if he rolled in at 145, that way he would just be skeletal at the weigh-ins. I'm not sure that uh, that that would be a good move for him. I mean, and but oh, man, you know how you could get him to make that cut is by telling him you don't think he could make it. <laughs> <laughs> wrestler dude like that that's all you'd have to do you wouldn't have to get a nutritionist or anything you'd be like i don't know man i don't think you could make 45 probably Boom. true probably true i mean that said if he can get down there and he retains the strength that he has and the power like whew, he'd be scary dude at 145 as long as that he's still got the cardio the the strength and the and the power in his hands you know I still feel like uh, if Gray Maynard retired today, the thing I'd remember him most for is when he knocked himself out, slamming a dude, and then tried to claim that he wasn't out even while watching the replay where he clearly was out. I love that kind of stubbornness, a refusal to admit to what the video evidence in front of your own face shows even as you were talking about it. I love that. That ain't me. No. All right, well, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we will uh, get out of here for this week. Ben. What is your just saying stuff for this week? I'm just saying that on the prelims, Khabib Nurmagomedov Nurmi. Nurmi, uh, set what we were told is a new UFC record for takedowns with 21, which is a record apparently for both three and five round fights. And he did it in three rounds um, by just hauling Abel Trujillo back to the mat over and over again. I'm just saying that if you have back control on a guy and you throw him down and he staggers back up to his feet and then you throw him back down to his knees again, I'm just saying I'm not so sure that that should count as a takedown. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So you are going to craft a thoughtful email maybe to fight metric? Uh, you know, more of a, a text message that <laughs> I get frustrated with and don't send uh, because it keeps autocorrecting, uh, especially it keeps autocorrecting my swears, which I hate. Uh, but I, I just, I mean, for one thing, I feel like the wrestling and grappling aspect of this sport resists, uh, statistical, uh, applications even more so than the rest of it. And so when we try and count on these takedowns, I'm just saying maybe we're kind of, we're kind of missing the, the spirit of what was happening there. Just saying. You know what I thought was weird was when Nermi rolled in, uh, he missed Wade, obviously, but then he shoved Abel in a way that during the, the stare down, where it looked like he really meant it. And so many people online were like, oh, bad form, bad form at the way in to shove your opponent like that. And yet, like two weeks earlier, we totally thought it was awesome when Vidor Belfort and Luke Rockhold shoved each other, and they totally looked like they didn't mean it at all. They were just like, well, <laughs> we're the man of men. We're at this weigh-in, yeah. so I guess we'll have to <laughs> shove each other once or twice. Well, hey, I'm shove all you want, but you got to make weight first. Yeah, I know you do. That's, 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 that's the, the thing. thing there. And also, if you're able to hew and you're just getting hauled down to the mat over and over again, I don't know what you think is going to be accomplished by you kind of looking up at the ref and going like, come on, man, <laughs> this sucks. What are, you, what are you hoping he's going to do there? Ben, I'm just saying, holy shit. Did you see Alexander Emelianenko's beard this weekend? I did not. He looked like he had just got off work 
from the coffee shop in Williamsburg where he works part time. <laughs> like <laughs> headed to band practice. He looked like Joaquin Phoenix in the rapper period. Oh wow, it was amazing. He, you know, as an aside, also showed up looking totally huge and in great shape. If you know what I'm, if you know what I mean. Uh, You're saying that he's got on a good exercise. He's regimen. got a new strength coach. Bowflex, I, I think is. Yeah. He's got that Bowflex. Uh huh. He's he definitely got on the insanity thirty minute. Yeah. Got one workout. of those perfect push up things. You can uh, do it anywhere. That's the great thing about it. I mean, I guess if you're going to show up to your fight, tatted up like a member of an international crime syndicate. And he is. And in a pair of plain black shorts with no logo, no sponsors, nothing. Knock out Bob Sapp in a minute and 18 seconds. Frankly, I'm surprised that it took him this long in his career to figure out that he, sh- he, he should grow out just a terrifying beard. <laughs> because he looks 10 times scarier now than he ever did before. He's already pretty scary looking. Yeah. Oh, I'm just saying. Huh. So you're, you're just saying that uh, if he's standing in line trying to trying to buy some, I don't know. Oh, I'm leaving the store. If I walk into a store and Alexander Emelianenko is there, I'm out. I'm just leaving. You're just going to go down the street to the next place you see? Yeah. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. As for right now... We're done. We're through. We're out. So when's this internet beer getting here? I don't know. I, I now we're we're out of the clutches of the internet and into the clutches of the U.S. Mail and Parcel Service. So uh, good about that. It could, it could take up to weeks. <laughs>